season two of the Pat and JT podcast. Oh my, now I'm here at last. The best time, always gonna be the best. Come on. Exclusively on the Herd App Media Network. Right. I know we talked about Facebook Marketplace a little bit on our previous episode. Um, speaking of Facebook, we have a, a private Pat and JT fan page, like a group. We just interact with you guys, chat yeah. with you. Um, do a whole bunch of fun stuff. Uh, the bar is very low for getting in. So all you got to do, I'll, there's a link <laughs> in our uh, description of this episode and just click on that. And approval process is super quick because there is none. And uh, we'll we'll see you in there. So it's a lot of fun. I think it's basically a click. You, you ask if you can and we say yes. If you can click a button. It's pretty simple. You're in the group. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's, there, there you go. Yep. There you had to ask a little, not yep. asking a lot. Right, exactly. Um, there's a story Right. <laughs> There's a story um, that happened this last week, and I think it was about uh, almost a week ago, last Friday. Uh, did you hear about there was a collision that happened on a highway in Pennsylvania, and it involved a shipment of some monkeys heading to an unnamed CDC-approved facility oh, no. where they quarantine foreign animals. Oh, okay. Not testing. Yes. I was thinking testing. Had, okay. Um, this, this is, the, and I'm, it is a, at least that's the story we're getting. Okay. <laughs> and you know me. Yeah. I'm like trying to read between the lines. Um, but they had arrived at JFK International Airport Friday morning last week. There were a hundred of them and they were little monkeys and they, they liked the macaw, what are they called? I can't remember the. But anyway, they're, they're little monkeys and they're from a little country and they were coming in to go be held at this, this area in this area. And that was because they were coming in from another country. And I don't know what their whole, like, you know, like when you transport other animals, you have to have different tests done before you can transport them to prove that everything was done so they don't have to quarantine for very long yeah. on the other side, if at all. I don't even know what the, the whole... Um, I know different countries, different states have different laws as well. But regardless, that's what they were told. So there was an accident. And the 100 monkeys were in the back of this truck. And about three of these monkeys escaped. And that would be crazy. They took off. Right. So the next thing you know, uh, people are stopping on the scene to help. And uh, somebody talked to the truck driver and they said that he was basically frantic, you know, understandably. One report that came out was that he was asked what he was shipping and he thought he had some kind of cats. He didn't at first say monkeys. Yeah, he didn't, fact, he didn't, he didn't wonder the, ooh, ooh, ah, ah, there's not a cat. He didn't I hear that? I heard that. They, they were in these little containers that were loaded into his truck. So there's, there is the possibility that he just like backed up to one of the docks and then his truck was loaded and he signed off. And this is so sad. Who knows? who knows? Yeah. But yeah, the truck wrecks. And so the, the contents were spilled onto the highway and three of the monkeys escaped. So then this warning comes out telling people not to approach the monkeys. If you see one of them yeah. to immediately call this number um, and the monkeys are going to be recaptured. We want to capture them so we can quarantine them at least 31 days. Uh, not that I, there was, and no, there was no follow up on exactly what the quarantine number was going to be for all the other monkeys, but these three in particular, there was a, a letter that was sent out from the CDC. It was posted, it was printed in the, in the different news sites. And you can see where it says, you know, we'll be, uh, quarantining these guys for about 31 days, but we need to locate them. If you see them, let us know where they are. And then next thing you hear is, uh, one of the people, one of the first responders that stopped to help, she started developing some symptoms. Of what? 
like symptom what symptoms don't well she had she had some itching she had some swelling she had nasal um eyes you know it was just like there was just various things that were starting to like this is all not making sense and the cdc then said that she needed to quarantine and no explain explaining why she would need to quarantine from these monkeys but then the monkeys were finally located and they were all euthanized immediately. Did they say why? Nope. <laughs> so they nope. they had something that they we aren't supposed to know about, apparently. Or could have had something that we weren't supposed to know about. And they did or whatever. So how's this uh, quarantining first responder lady? Uh, that was the last report I saw. So I'm still, I've got to go back wow. and, and follow up on this. Um, but what they're saying is that these monkeys in particular are often used in what they call non-clinical research or safety studies because they are the animals that are the, the closest to humans. They're little guys though, but they have been known to transmit disease. Monkey pox is one of them. And another one's called herpes B virus. And they said that it's reported that that uh, the virus has killed a veterinary surgeon in China last year after he dissected two of these monkeys. And so there was the 911 call was put out telling people not to touch the monkeys and all that good stuff. They did find them all, but they've all been euthanized, but no, no follow up on. Okay. So wait, what, what was really going on? I bet that lady has monkey herpes. I wonder what she's got. And yeah. if it's passed on anybody else since, because other people also had stopped that they didn't get like their names or phone numbers oh, or stuff. Man. They stopped to help. And then they continued on their merry way and possibly had it. Have you ever seen the movie? <laughs> You're going to laugh when I say it. Hold on. I, I literally had to type this in here. I put in Dustin Hoffman. Oh, Project and, and X. It, it, is it Project X? No, but it automatically, it auto filled for me. Dustin Hoffman is all I put in and it says monkey movie. And so <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm not the first person to do this outbreak. Oh yeah. I, I liked outbreak a lot. Yeah. A lot of people are pointing to that movie right now and saying, okay, wait a minute. Life is imitating art. What is going on? Well, and so supposedly, I mean, if, it it's from 95, but it's still a good movie. If you believe what some people are saying that that's COVID-19 came from a bat. So that's kind of the same deal. Outbreak from an animal, whatever virus flipping right. the world upside down. Although the COVID thing, I don't know if it necessarily, yeah, the whole bat thing, there's still, I think it's a bunch there's of still so, yes, oh, there's, I think there's some tampering that went on and it may have come from a bat, but it may have been during testing on something else. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and how that poor, poor, if she does have monkey herpes, just down the road when she's, you know, takes a lover, whatever that means. <laughs> and she has to explain like, hey, here's the deal. Um, this is what I have. And this is how I got it. I mean, do you be like, um, what, what is that cool? Is that not cool? What's the deal? That, that's not true. That a is, there is no a hundred monkeys were scattered across the highway and three of them got loose and you stopped to help no, the driver. You're and just a slut. What? You're just a, you just slept with everybody. Don't say the monkey thing. Come on. Those are monkey pox. Those are, those are definitely not monkey pox. <laughs> yeah. Try to explain away your monkey herpes at the bar. Uh, Mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's a rough one. That'd be really hard. Oh my God. Okay. And then we're going to pivot hard. <laughs> very, very, very hard pivot. If you're ready to pivot hard, we're going to go ahead and roll with it. Uh, first off, though, we do want to throw out this. Uh, we talked about 
centrist federal credit union. Let's, cle- let's cleanse our that. audio palette gonna, from I'm monkey herpes to cent. One, two, three. <sighs> okay, new show. So one of the things we talk about with Centrist Federal Credit Union is planning your savings accordingly. Say um, you're at that age where you're like, you know, maybe I should start thinking about my retirement a little bit more seriously. Um, When you're young, it's really hard to understand how putting away uh, not very much will add up to so much later. It it is so hard. I didn't get it. I mean, I and I missed the boat. I'm like, my God, if only I could have wrapped my head around that. But Imagine if you live, you, you retire, say, at 65, and you live another 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Right? Right. I mean, right. Nothing scarier than being that age. And, you, I mean, you don't want to work. You maybe can't work. And then you don't have any money. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to tie this all in together here in just a second with a local story. But just to, just to kind of put the seed in there and let you kind of let it ruminate a little bit, if you are in that 20s, 30s, 40s even, even, even beyond that, they can still help. They can still help you with putting things together for um, regardless of savings, retirement, your retirement account. Savings is something you need like tomorrow. Maybe some emergency pops up, right? Um, but your retirement account and how you're going to live in the future, aside from what social security you hope is going to kick back to you if it's still around. Um, but yeah, I'd give them a call and ask them if they can sit down with you and just kind of go through things. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a good idea. Yeah. It's always, I, I wish I'd listened to my parents a long time ago when they said, start saving, start putting a little bit away. Cause at that time you don't even think about retirement. You're like, it's so far away. I want to buy shoes. Um, <laughs> but then when the, when the closer you get, you're like, man, I wish I'd listen. And they said that to me too. Like oh, you need to listen. You're going to regret this. So yeah. yeah, if you have either, maybe you did listen and you need help with your investments that you have, Centris can help. Or if you want to start that savings account, they can definitely help you there too. Easy to do. Centris FCU federalcreditunion.org, centristfcu.org, 334-7000 is the number, area code 402. And the way we're going to tie this all together is because there was a story that just popped this last in the last week, and there is a woman who recently passed away, and she's the oldest woman in the United States. Her name is Thelma Sutcliffe, and she lived here in Omaha. And she passed away at an assisted living facility, 115 years old. That's amazing. I didn't know that she was here. Like, I didn't know that I didn't, the oldest one, the oldest person in America was here. She became the oldest April 17th of last year. That's she was awesome. the seventh oldest in the world at the time. Yeah. You know, your um, clock's ticking. I mean, when you get up there, you're like, what a cool thing to know that you're in the, the top 10 oldest people in the world. Well, and I, I pulled up the list. And now the oldest person is a woman who lives in Iowa and her name is Bessie Hendricks. And she is 114 years and 78 days-ish, give or take for when you hear this. Um, The other top two, Myla, she was born in Nebraska and lives in California. And she's also 114 plus. And Irene, she is Irene Dunham. She was born in Michigan, lives in Michigan, also just over 114 years old. Everybody else is under 113. You know, it's all, (laughs) there are babies. It's all (laughs) chicks. Yes. Yes. It's all girls. It's all women. When you go down the list, as a matter of fact, let me see. if So you guys know what you do to men. You create, you make us die early because of stress and because of dealing with things. (laughs) And then you guys live out your golden years with all getting all these awards and stuff. And while we're dead. Mm -hmm. I'm honestly, I'm looking at a list that's got to be 50 names at least. And they're all 110 or older. And Mm -hmm. they're all women. Mm -hmm. 
everyone. And it was really funny as I was looking at Thelma's story and um, her friends had talked about her and just said that she was still very sharp and she had credited her long life to the fact that she never had children. She never smoked and she believed strongly in not worrying about anything. That's awesome. <laughs> You can get there. and then, But then there's other ones that are like 111, 112 that had whiskey every day, smoked since they were eight. And they're like, and I guess. 12 kids. Yeah, and had 12 kids. And they're, they're, they're just rocking. I don't think there is a true secret, but I get a kick out of what they credit it for. You know, what they, what they say, well, this is what I do. Partial secret is, is being a girl. If you're a girl, you have a better chance. It looks like it. Mm -hmm. It really does look like it. Yeah. And I think, did they have on here? Let me see if they had on here. No, they didn't have overall. Because there, there's been a couple of guys, though, that have been on the top of the list of the oldest men in, or the oldest people in the world. And it seems like usually you'll see, and I don't know why, but it tends to be somebody, a, a man from like India or somewhere like that, that you'll have the man as the oldest person in the world. Let me look real quick and see if I can find. <laughs> Faux Polini on Twitter. Oh, every time news like this comes out, he'll always be like, this is so sad. This keeps happening. <laughs> the <laughs> oldest person in the world dies. <laughs> And it's so it's, every time I see it, it just makes me laugh. Oh my god, this is terrible! This keeps happening. It keeps happening. Why is this happening to us? Uh, I take it back because I'm looking at the list of the oldest people in the All world chicks. right now. The oldest one is, I think, yeah, it is. It's a woman, and she is 122. Sweet lord! In France, born in 1870. Oh, I take it back. I misread this. She was the oldest, but she still is the oldest of all time. Okay. But she was, she died in 97, my, my mistake, but she was 122. So she's still the pinnacle for everybody trying to get to the oldest wow. in the world is that's crazy. Nutty. And I think for men, the oldest ever was somebody, a man who lived to be 116 in Japan. That's another area you hear from a lot. Yeah. Healthier lifestyle than here. That's for sure. Right. Oh yep. my God. So anyway, so congratulations though. And, and her family, she still has some family members that are out there and, and uh, I'm glad that she got the designation almost a year with it too. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's pretty but awesome. Like Fo like says, it just keeps just happening. It keeps happening. And you don't get those accolades <laughs> until you die. So it's like, you can't enjoy it. And your family's like, yay, way to go, Aunt Kathy. But she's gone. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah. Dang it. Oh my God. All right, let's see here. Was there anything else that I needed to jump on? I think that that pretty well covers it. Yeah. Because we've got a special guest or two that we're talking to today. Always fun to meet new people that are friends of the show or new friends of the show. And this one is really exciting. Um, it's a couple of people that I've known of. And I've talked to one of you, I think, before. Um, but you have a new venture that you brought out, uh, Flatwater Free Press, which we wanted to talk about. And your names will probably be familiar to our listeners. Uh, one of them is Matt Wynn, who's the executive director. And then Matthew Hansen, also with the Flatwater Free Press, used to be with the Omaha World Herald, Lincoln, Lincoln Journal star. Um, welcome to the show, you guys. Hey, guys. Thanks so hey. much. Absolutely. Now, Let's just start off um, talking about what you guys are doing and, and really what, where you came from and, and how this all came to be. Yeah. Um, Flatwater Free Press is something that we've been dreaming on for since we sat next to each other at the World Herald a million years ago. Uh, it's kind of the next phase for news, frankly. This, is, it, this came, this trend started happening in the late aughts, kind of in the valley after the financial crisis in 2009. Um, and it's really been kind of a resurgence. It was a response to layoffs and cuts in traditional newsrooms and kind of reshaping of that industry. 
uh, this is a way that we can keep the best parts of the of the industry, of the practice, of the craft alive. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better as far as the, the cuts and the newsrooms. And it's just like, I'm not saying calling anybody out specific like World Herald or anything, but it <laughs> seems like uh, organizations like that, big newspapers that have been around mm-hmm. for 50, 60, 70, 80 years, just had a really hard time transitioning into the digital age and learning how to present their, in their deliver their content and information content. in a different way. They just had a hard time with it. Didn't know how to do it, but they start cutting people. Yeah. And when you when you think about sort of uh, I mean, part of what this is, is a different way to pay for what we all agree is is the the sort of journalism that needs to happen inside a community or communities or neighborhoods. Um, the, the the argument would be, um, you know, Matt watched this happen around the country at nonprofit news sites uh, growing up in places, both in urban areas and in uh, more rural places where, you know, they're essentially in a lot of these places, there is no newspaper, there is no TV or radio station that that is reporting the news at this point, news deserts, it's become a term, right? So um, his idea and one that I really attached to was, okay, we're going to do both, we're going to be a source for good, important news in Omaha and Lincoln, where there are still places that are doing the block and tackle journalism, covering the meetings, doing the the daily journalism stuff that we need, we're also going to be the place and we're going to add to that however we can. We're also yeah. going to be the place that in these news deserts in Nebraska, and there are many, um, we're going to be sort of the only game in town. We're going to be a place that is going to, I mean, today, this morning, we had a story uh, about uh, Alvo, Nebraska, which is a village that. of 115 people. As you might imagine, Alvo doesn't have a, uh, a news source. Right. Um, so, you know, stories like that are going to be our, our bread and butter as well. I was going to say, you might even speak to the fact that you, I know you're from Red Cloud originally. Um, and Matt, where are you from originally? I'm so, from I went to Central High School up the road here. So there you go. And for so you, uh, for better or worse, right? Mm-hmm. But when you mentioned Alvo, it just made me, when you were talking about the news deserts, I think in my hometown is Ashland. And oh, yeah. um, Ashland has the Ashland Gazette, which was a standalone newspaper as I grew up. And then it was consolidated with Wahoo and I think Waverly. Um, and now it, the, the office has moved to Wahoo. So you don't even have a presence in town anymore. When you talk about that news desert, we still are fortunate yeah. to have some representation. Um, but like Alvo... Um, they, they hope they get kind of corralled in with that, right? And those small towns and, and out west, it gets worse. Yeah. And it, it's a function, even in places that have newspapers or have radio stations that cover news. And there, there are many. I mean, Nebraska's actually done. Nebraska's in a better situation than a lot of other states. And people don't, I think, really necessarily realize that, both in the metro areas and in the rural communities where we still have a tradition of for-profit legacy news outlets. But as those shrink and they they have all shrunk, it becomes a situation where, yeah, you can do the daily story on the on the city council meeting in a, in a small town, but can you write the bigger story about the story that's gonna take you two weeks when you have 17 other things to do? No, you can't. And, and that's I think that's what we can provide. And one of the metrics that we toss out there, that, which is true, is over the past two decades, Nebraska has lost more than half of its reporting firepower. The number of journalists in Nebraska is down 52% since 2000. That's the problem, right? That's the statement of problem right there. What kind of work has fallen by the wayside that used to be done by the thousands upon thousands of reporters that are no longer there to do it? Uh, Is it going to the city council meeting? Is it just quality? I mean, that's, that's one of the things. Is it 
doing a fine story when you could be doing a better story? All of that. I mean, the answer is yes, all of the above. Um, and that's what we're trying to fill in. And I think you can see that too in, again, I think I'm like putting everybody on blast, which I'm not doing, but you can tell that with um, television as well. You know, you see a lot of, you don't see the the Mike McKnight's, the, 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 those kind of reporters anymore um, because they're now bringing in 22-year-old kids just out of college that don't have any experience in markets like Omaha where they just don't have the, they don't have the chops. And so therefore the, the piping it in. Yeah. Which, or yeah, exactly. Which completely takes the local mm-hmm. away from it. And so you get less, lesser quality stories, less, less local. And it just seems like you're settling for a lesser quality of journalism. If it's not going away, it's getting less. It's, it's also about the different type of model. I mean, the for-profit versus the nonprofit is pretty important here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that we can all agree that in-depth journalism is important. Investigative journalism is important. Does it make money? <laughs> Not all the time. No, it doesn't. Right. It's an easy thing to push by the wayside in favor of stuff that is an easier sell to advertisers mm-hmm. or to, to, you know, where, where you do make your money. We're making the argument to donors, to foundations and a bunch of small donors. Um, While you're talking about that, is, explain your model a little bit, Matthew. We didn't yeah. really get a chance to, to talk about that. Explain that that whole concept of your donors and, and supporters. Yeah. I mean, we are a nonprofit newsroom. So think about us like, you know, any nonprofit organization, anything with a, a board that runs the place and you're trying to serve a public good. Um, instead of you know, feeding the homeless or something, we are providing news. We're telling stories about places and people that otherwise wouldn't be told. Is that a very, is that, that a unique formula? Is that a unique kind of organization? Because I haven't heard <laughs> that before. Uh, it's unique to Nebraska. Okay. Um, there is noise in North Omaha. They were the only nonprofit newsroom um, in the state before we came online in September. Um, we, though, were the 335th nonprofit newsroom in the oh, country. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Nebraska, we were the 46th, 47th statewide operation like this. Colorado has four of these. Missouri has six. Kansas, South Dakota, Iowa, everybody has one. Nebraska didn't. Um, Interesting. It's not all one size fits all, right? There's a lot yeah. of stuff we do that other people don't do. Uh, we give our content away for free, for example. every I mean, you read our stories in a newspaper in the state. You see our stories online with God, you know, some of the best news outlets around this place. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's because we think this is a public good. We think telling the stories is our mission, right? Mm-hmm. Getting the stuff out there with a society first focus is the public good that we offer. Uh, and so giving it away, um, is part of it. I'll also say, you know, going back to kind of the, the broader state of the industry stuff, the metrics all changed, right? It used to be, you knew you achieved journalistic success when you were on the front page, for example, or if you, if people were talking about your story, if they were aware of it, uh, that morphed over the past decade or so into something called clicks. And we all know about clickbait, right? It's yeah. this very easy way to know immediately if you've hit paid or if people are mm-hmm. listening, if they, if they care. Uh, it also optimizes for all these terrible things, mm-hmm. right? And I don't even need to go down the list. We all know what they are. We specifically, by virtue of giving away our stuff, uh, we divorce ourselves from that. We don't mm-hmm. measure ourselves that way. We know right. we success if the story matters by kind of those old school Big J journalism metrics. That takes the pressure off a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like the refresh, refresh, refresh. See you out the, you know, I'm sure you've been there. It's true though. When you talk about the clicks, it's like, um, that's that, those are the metrics that they get their sales by. And the clicks are really easy on social media because it's just headline, click, headline, click, or like, 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 you know, when you're on Instagram or Twitter or anything like that. 
Um, whereas consumption, which is like how much time they're spending on the, yes. on the stories is not something that is valued as much as it should be. The, oh. you know, how much time are we spending on this site? How much time are we spending on his story? Um, that should be the, what's really valued, but it's not. <laughs> and, we are learning. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because that is, we've got a couple metrics that we've come up with to get ourselves away from clicks and time spent is one of them. And I will brag for a second here. Uh, when I was at some, you know, news organizations around the country, we used to like, like really call it a success if our average time spent on a story, if the average reader spent 30 seconds on a, on a story, we're wow. over two minutes. Oh, our wow. stories are, I mean, the quality is kind of our, our thing. And I, we're clearly knocking that out of the park. Sweet. I was just looking around on your page. Oh, go ahead, Matthew. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I, I, I was looking at your uh, topics, you know, and just kind of scrolling around at some of the stories that you have on here right now. Um, and it's all over. It, you've got by the state, you've got Metro. I mean, you've got all different ways to categorize them. And one that I saw in here, and I'm just like, wait, what? Um, there's a story in here about the movie Buried and the uh, or origin of it, which was a Nebraska writer or a Nebraskan, I believe, that was who wrote that. I didn't know that connection. That story is fascinating. Um, <laughs> and I'd never seen that before. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. I had no idea about the book. That I'm sad to say. I saw the movie and I had no idea about it. But these stories that you've got on here are just, they're a different look at some of these communities. Um, I really am like, I can see why the Alvo's got to be like, thank you. Thank you for just paying attention to us today and getting our story it, out there. But, it depends but, who you talk to in Alvo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the village board is a huge fan. Is my guess. But the, the, what you're seeing that content mixed is very intentional by us. And it, it actually is also, it's a thing that sets us apart from anybody else in the country. Nobody, as far as we know, is really doing two things at the same time. One, that investigative piece, you know, sort of like we've had story, we had a story last week, a really good story about the, the prison system and sort of the impacts of overcrowding and understaffing on the prison system. That's a sort of in, a classic investigative kind of in-depth uh, news um, story. And then we also have, and a lot of these are written by freelancers, we have kind of your, your human interest slice of life features from around the state of Nebraska. Like we had a great story about the cafe in Newman Grove. Um, we had oh, a great yes. story about a, a guy who started um, uh, a guy from Africa who started a uh, coffee business connecting his native country with Grand Island, right? Th those are also really important stories. And we think those are really Nebraskan stories. There's something about Nebraska. We care, even though I'm in Omaha right now, so many people like me are from smaller places. And so I, I think there's still, a, it's a way to connect rural and urban is, is part of our goal here. And it, it does make us a lot different than other nonprofit news sources. Yeah. While you're there, why don't you talk just a second about one of the stories that's, that just came out the last few days, which is the Buzz Without Booze story, Sandhills Elixir. Um, just just real quick, how you came across that and, um, and give us a little taste. Uh, okay, no pun intended. Okay. <laughs> I would Dumb. I would hold up the bottle if I had it here. I'm doing dry January, so I'm consuming quite a bit of Sandhills Elixir at this point. But the, is that why you're um, shaking and all sweaty? <laughs> no, that's, this is my fifth cup. Of oh, coffee. okay, oh, that's why. Okay, got it. <laughs> I haven't given up everything. The, the, the um, I I don't actually know how. Well, I mean, I think I originally heard about it because of Dry January uh, last year. 
um, you know, this, this idea that there was, and I have since met um, uh, the Wassingers, the, that couple um, that, that started this. I mean, it's such a Nebraska story. I loved it for all these different reasons, right? It's a story about a, a husband and a wife using their respective talents as a, a you know, sort of a, a startup investor and a food scientist to, you know, come up with a product together. So that's a cool story. Then it's a story about urban meets rural because they went out to Valentine. They have connections to the Sandhills and they're, they're pulling these, these uh, both the, the fruits and some of the the herbs that they use and the um the know-how the brew the actual like distilling brewing process from valentine so it's omaha meets valentine and then it's this story about it's a business story about this trend and you know this trend of dry january this trend of people wanting to cut back on drinking um and sort of how sandhills elixir is trying to be a local uh or statewide kind of solution for that for that um uh trend so i yeah. i love that story for all those reasons that i was super happy told it they're like midtown omaha couple and then yeah. and, and so they they really pulled it together that's really neat because i think actually we're going to be talking to her on our podcast oh, nice. down the road um too we, we i think we've got some connections that we're we're getting her scheduled to come in and saw that story. I'm like oh my god that's awesome because <laughs> they deserve that and that that's a great story and you also were talking i heard you mention investigative reporting and then i when we hear food reporting and then i hear uh storytelling and i'm like i'm thinking of you all of you that's kind of matt that's kind of you're the investigative reporter history right and then matthew I've always known you as a great storyteller. Um, I follow you on Twitter, Red Cloud Scribe, um, and uh, always have. And then your wife is the food writer. Right. Right. And and um, I'm sure that I'll, and then I see other names on your, on the website that people will recognize. Cindy Lane Kubik stood out to me yeah. immediately. I was like, oh, there's a name I, I, I definitely know. And I didn't know that she was contributing to what you're doing. Yeah, she she's writing a monthly story for us that, you know, and most of those stories are going to be about Lincoln, but she also wanted to flex her muscles and write some stuff that wasn't Lincoln. That was small town Nebraska stories or Omaha. So that's going to be really cool. By the way, Sarah Baker Hansen is going to freelance a story for us very soon. It's a story about steak and I'm, I'm very story about to, steak. to run it. I don't know. We might get divorced as if I'm her <laughs> editor on many, many stories. So I think I might pass those duties on to Matt. But yeah, yeah she she's she's definitely gonna be writing some some uh, food stories for us. But you, you, the point you hit on about the complementary talents is one that we've certainly recognized. I mean, Omaha and Red Cloud, uh, you know, a background in data. I mean, Matt's background is, and Matt won't toot his own horn, but he is. I mean, really nationally known as a person who knows how to get data through, um, you know, uh, publicly available or Freedom of Information Act requests uh, 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 type uh, stuff and and analyze it into and turn it into to good journalism. That is certainly not my background. My background is kind of the more old school reporting storytelling. So the combination of the, those two skill sets. Mm -hmm. Um, I think really benefits Flatwater yeah. Food Press. I mean, it makes us a whole newsroom, frankly. Yeah. I mean, by our powers combined, we can build something better than what either one of us could do alone. And yeah. by the way, our reporters are the ones who are actually, you know, doing most of the work. Uh, we, we hired two of them. They started on November 1st. Uh, uh, Yinchi Shu, who's sitting in the office a couple of steps away, and <laughs> Talia Alamdari. And they're also very, I mean, they're super talented 
and they they have complementary skills and and talents as well. Natalia, more of a kind of an uh, old school newspaper background, mm-hmm. and, and Minchi, more of a data journalism background. So they're working together great too. It's it's interesting it's because awesome. I know we talked at the top about the disappearance of the newsrooms, and I and we as Pat and I worked in radio in Omaha for years. We saw that happen across the city. The newsrooms that were in some of the main news stations just disappeared yeah. and and they they then they had to outsource to bring in a news so they could still call themselves a news station um you guys have found yourselves in the same position i think that that we kind of did it was like no we know what works and how it should be done and and we know what what is going to do it right and you're just rebuilding what you know is correct, even though the industry has decided to take a turn and say, oh, we can save money if we do this or we can do this, you know, and, and it's like, man, you just cut all the meat off the bone. Yeah. I mean, it's changing the business model. That's really what our mission is. Yes. The journalism, we kind of know what journalism is. We know what impact looks like. It's changing laws. It's putting bad guys in prison. It's getting good guys out of prison. That's your holy grail. That's what you're aiming for. How do you pay to do it? Uh, and this is our bet to make that happen. No, you got you got me goosebumps there. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Damn it. I'm like, <laughs> it's also a situation where, you know, we're hoping to change the conversation. And I think we're starting to have a little success at changing the conversation around sort of what has been lost to what's the next chapter. Because the truth is, all that really matters at the end of the day is that this stuff exists in some form. Does it matter, you know, sort of, kind of, is it the the old school, like, newspaper model? Is it the old school radio, you know, news radio model? I don't really think it does. And I'm, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. a lifelong newspaper reader and person, so I personally love that style, but, um, yeah, the point is the journalism, right? And and we're looking to preserve it and and grow um, mm-hmm. in a way that that uh, sort of moves it forward as twenty twenty two becomes twenty thirty two, right? Do you guys also have just like I I'm, I don't realize if you do, do you have like a physical paper that you put out as well, or just as an online yeah. presence? Because see, that was something when Pat and I were starting with our podcast is like the one of the biggest changes is being able to be there when they look for you and not making them wait until it's time for the paper to come out or it's time for the 705 news or stay with us till five and find out why that food might kill you. You know, it's like, no, (laughs) tell me now, you know, um, and that's pretty cool that you have that presence online. So when they want to find it, they can find it right now. Uh, Flatwaterfreepress.org, by the way, you want to write that down and it's in the notes as well. Um, if people want to find that address, but yeah, this is, this is really exciting stuff. Is yeah. there, is there anything that you guys wanted to throw out there as far as any stories that you're working on or Boy. anybody that you wanted to highlight and just kind of say, Oh, and by the way, so-and-so is contributing with us as well. You've got people from across the state that are, are contributors. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would turn it into an ask. Honestly, we do have contributors across the state. We're growing that freelance network every day. The flip side of a 52% reduction in journalists is there's a lot of journalists who know how to do this stuff who need to do the work. Yes. Um, And we're paying for that. So if you've got a story that you want to tell, uh, get in touch with us. Flatwaterfreepress.org is the website. Subscribe to our newsletter for free. Matthew sends that out every Friday. Um, Covers what we're up to. Covers some of the best journalists we're reading across the state. Uh, And yeah, we're, we're just... We need more storytelling. That's what we're here to do. That's what we want to achieve. Um, 
And if somebody wants to donate as well and be a, a sponsor supporter. Yeah. Uh, flatwaterfreepress.org, donate button up at the top. We're currently a uh, fiscal, we're under the fiduciary uh, Nebraska Community Foundation. We've got a fund over there that you would actually be donating to that pays all our bills. Cool. Um, yeah. And I love I, it. Just to, like the, the success both in, like we took that newsletter from zero to 4,000 subscribers in a couple months. And wow. Matt's success at small donors. I mean, it is, it's one thing to get money from a foundation. We obviously love that and we wouldn't exist without foundations, but it's quite another the first time we re received a $50 check from somebody who thought journalism was important enough. Nebraska journalism was important enough to, to help fund yeah. us. And now we have 500 yeah. of those, wow. of those small donors. And it just, it means so much to us. And honestly, that's going to be the engine that, that drives this thing moving forward. Super. That's fantastic. That's you guys, this has been awesome talking with you. I like this. Um, yeah, I love finding out what you guys are up to and, and hopefully get some more sponsors and some more contributors. That would be fantastic. Um, but regardless, it's just great to, to get a chance to talk with you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. This is great. By the way, we're typical Nebraskans. We don't know how to say goodbye at the door. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're... <laughs> okay, well, hug, hug. All right, bye. Okay, see ya. So... Uh, okay, so like uh, JT said, go to the description. Links are there. Um, what great dudes. We appreciate them coming on our show. Matt and Matthew. Thanks, Matt and Matthew. Thanks, guys. Pat and JT Podcast. A Huda Media Production.